Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're in this place. We thank you that you're in our hearts. We thank you that you allowed us to come here this morning and to gather as a church, as your body, to worship you, Lord. God, I just pray right now that you would make our hearts ready for your message. I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts. And whatever it is that I will say, Lord, I just pray that it would come from you. And that you would bless us through it, Lord. We thank you and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Well, if, if you're new this morning, um, my name is Jonas. I'm, a, I'm one of the pastoral interns um, at, here at Mercy Hill, and I'll be uh, sharing the message this morning with you. I hope it goes well. It's been a long time since I, since I preached. So, um, so today... We'll be in the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So if you're new, uh, we've, we're going through the book of Revelation and the, and the letters uh, to the seven churches um, in the Asia Minor. So this morning we'll be uh, reading the one for the Ephesian church. So starting from verses, verse 1 all the way until verse 7. I'm going to go ahead and read. To the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and being up and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you, you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yes, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I'll pray one more time. Lord in heaven, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can be encouraged by your word. I pray, Lord, that you will speak deep into our hearts this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, in the year, in last year, uh, 2023, I received a letter. Um, this was right after I became a United States citizen. It was, I believe, in the month of April or May, between those two months. And so I was coming from work, and I stopped by the... Um, 
mailbox and I picked up my mail and one of those letters in there was a letter that was distinct from the other stuff in the mail and I became curious and I looked at the addresser and it was written the White House. I was like, whoa, <laughs> the White House. <laughs> so from the mailbox up to the, up to the house, it's not a long way at all. It's very close. But I just couldn't wait to get home and open that letter and see what was written in it. So I drove really fast, <laughs> got to the house, and I got in the house, and I opened it. It was, in fact, coming from the, from the White House. Uh, apparently, it was the president himself who had written it and signed it. And in there, the content of the letter was, he was congratulating me for my desire to become an American citizen. And I was happy about it. I was very excited. I'm like, I feel recognized. Um, I'm from Mozambique. Um, the president of my country has never written a letter to me. And now <laughs> I get a letter from the president of the United States. I was very happy. It was, it was a pleasure to, to receive the letter. And the reason why I'm saying this is because our text this morning is a message that comes from Jesus himself to a church. And as believers, as, as the body of Christ, we know that Christ has the authority over the church and over the whole world. That we know. And he himself writes this letter through the Apostle John, uh, who was in exile in the island of Patmos. He, he, he has uh, John write this, write this letter to the church of Ephesus. And so you can kind of imagine there, you know, the believers in the church of Ephesus, their feelings when they heard that this letter was written by Christ himself. It was a message coming from Christ himself. I believe they were excited. I believe so. Probably much more excited than I was when I received the letter from, from the White House. Now, the one thing that I like to say here is, even though this letter was written to the church of Ephesus, it was relevant then, and it's relevant for us too today. It's been a very long time, but it's still in force. It's still relevant. It can be applicable to us as a, as a church of Christ. Now, it's important for us to look at the background at this time in Ephesus, at the time when they received this letter. And I'll spend a couple minutes here talking a little bit about how the church was at the time. This church was likely uh, started by Priscilla and Aquila, and I believe you guys have heard those names. Um, they're names that are mentioned uh, in the book of Acts. These are two uh, believers. They're actually a couple that were taken by Paul to Ephesus, and the, uh, Paul had left them there, uh, encouraging the believers that were there. And he went on in his second trip, uh, his second journey, missionary journey. So Priscilla and Aquila are likely the ones that started this church. And there have been other leaders once it was established, and one of those is Titus. 
Um, not Titus, by the way. It's Timothy. Timothy, Timothy himself was one of the leaders of, the, of this church. And also we have Apollo and we have John himself, who at this point in time, he was in exile in the island of Patmos because of persecution that the church was going through. Now, when you look at those, those leaders, when you look at that leadership, it's easy to know, if you know these people, if you know these names, it's easy to know that the church was not being charged with heresy. There was no heresy going on because those were really solid leaders. They preached the, good, the true gospel, the message of Christ himself. And in case there was heresy, it was easy for them to identify it, and we'll see that as we proceed in our, in our um, passage this morning. They, that's one of the things that they're commended for. They knew the teachings that were not according to Christ, and they recognized them. And so they had a really good leadership. Leaders that taught the, taught the scriptures, really solid uh, scriptures, really solid messages to the church. And the church was growing. It was growing. There was miracles and there were signs happening in the church. And in, in fact, in the, in the book of Acts 19, we see a lot of things happening in the church of Ephesus where one of those things was the fact that um, Paul would, would preach the, uh, the scriptures and because of the power, the power in which he preached, the word of God was heard by so many people and people would, would come, people who were um, witch doctors, they practiced magic, they would come and bring their books to the leadership of the church and they repented of their sin. And that is the extent of the power that was there in the preaching of the gospel in the church of Ephesus. And so Paul was there. He was one of the leaders of the church. So there is no heresy here happening. No heresy at all. And in fact, um, even when I was growing up, I, I do remember one time there was a team of leaders and, and, and some believers that left the church that I, I was part of, of back in Mozambique. They went out to an area that was very Islamic uh, towards the coast of Mozambique. And they got there and they preached the gospel. Um, one of these times there was a witch doctor that was there hearing the message that was being preached by the pastor. And he comes up to the front and he tells him, I am a witch doctor. And what you're saying here I've never heard before. And I want to accept this Jesus that you're preaching. And he repented. And later on, he took that pastor up to his house. So at his house, there was a little small house where he, he, was, he would treat his, not his patients. There was a lot of evil stuff in there, things that he used, animal bones and you know, stuff like that. He used to treat, to treat people. Uh, things that he used for magic. And so he told the pastor, this is what I do and this is where I perform my, you know, my acts of magic and all that. And the pastor said, if you really, truly believe in Christ, we're going to burn this thing down. He said, yes, 
Let's burn it. So they burned it. And while they were burning it, that very space, that very spot, something that happened there, it was unbelievable. Like people had never seen it. It was like a city while the flames were, get, were going up. There were, it, it looked like a city with lights and roads and all that stuff. When he came and told the church back, the church that has sent that group, the church praised God. And we knew that that was not something that happened just for nothing. It was God himself working. And so it was things like this that were happening in Ephesus at the time because people were listening to the gospel, hearing the gospel, and believing, and the church was growing. People were being saved, and the church was growing. In fact, the church of Ephesus uh, started other churches around the area of Asia Minor. So this was a very solid church. They had a lot going for them. A very good church. Now, when we, when we think about our church, when we think about our church corporately and ourselves as individuals, as members of the church, how is our church? The Bible says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. How is that temple? How is it? In what state is it? I hope that an answer, a good answer for that question would be, it's going well. It's a blessing that in this, in this church we don't have a lack of good theology. We don't have a lack of a good message to listen to every Sunday. We are blessed with people that come and preach the gospel, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are blessed with that. There are people out there that do not have that. And we should be thankful for that. And I get really encouraged when I see Brad preaching here, Mark and Eric preaching the true gospel, a, a gospel that edifies my soul, my spirit. I get very much encouraged by that. It's great, and we should be thankful to God for that. It's a blessing. And so this is a church that is growing, as, as I said. And Paul himself, after spending about two to three years in Ephesus, and he decides to leave and go to other parts preaching the gospel. In fact, he was going to, back to Jerusalem. And he commends the church in his, in his speech before he left uh, the elders, uh, the leadership of this, of this church. He commends them. And we can find that in Acts 20, 32. It says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And I repeat here right at the beginning, and I commend you. This is a big deal. Paul knows that the church is going well. The church is growing. People are growing spiritually. He knows, and so he commends them. Which leads me to my first point this morning. And so when we look at this letter, the very first thing that we see right at the beginning from verse 1, it says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. 
I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So this is the commendation that Jesus himself is giving to the church. He's praising them for it. They're growing. They're doing a good job as a church in general. So we see their repetition, patient endurance, which we see enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. Those are good signs. And like I said before, this is a good church, and they have so much going for them. And that, that should be an example as a church for us to follow. It's Jesus himself who says this. I know your works. I know. And this speaks to his omniscience. He knows. He knows everything. He knows the bad. He knows, he knows the ugly. He knows the good in us. Both as a church or as individuals. He knows us intimately. He knows our longings. He knows our prayers. If you have been praying for something to happen, Jesus knows that. Whatever it is, even if, if you haven't told anybody, but Christ himself knows what you're praying for. And please be encouraged that he can hear you. He can hear those prayers. So this is a church that has endured a lot of persecution. And persecution is one of those things that is not appealing for us when we think about it. We don't want to be persecuted, do we? We don't. Nobody wants to be persecuted. But whether or not we want it, one day we might be. In fact, we are not promised that everything would go well when we follow Jesus. We are not promised. So the church in Ephesus was being persecuted. Some of the leaders were arrested. At least one of the leaders was even killed. He was murdered. At this point, John himself, who is writing this letter, who has written this letter, he's not in Ephesus at this time. He's in exile because of persecution. So you can see that probably they're concerned. They're concerned about what is going on. But they have endured through it all. So what happens is many times when we're persecuted, what we do is we tend to, we tend to, our hearts go down. We, we tend to be discouraged by the persecution. But this church is patient and it's enduring. And this was during the Roman Empire rule. The Roman Empire, by the way, was not, it was not nice to the church. They were not... Um, they were opposing the church in Ephesus. And, and it was actually the Roman Empire that was bringing all these uh, persecutions towards the church. And so there was all this going on, and, and, and John here writes this message from Christ himself, uh, commending the church for their patience, for their endurance, for you know, bearing up for Christ's name. And for not growing weary. You're probably not going through any persecution at this point in your life. But I think we should all be prepared. Because there, there might come a time in the future where the church in America 
might go through persecution. And so when that, when that time comes, what's going to be our attitude? What are we going to do? Are we going to be commended by God, by Jesus himself? Are we going to endure? This church remained faithful to the word. It remained faithful to God, faithful to Jesus Christ. And so they're, they're praised here. They're, they're, they're commended by, by all that patience, by all that insu- in, uh, endurance. In the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from wor- bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That, that's scary, right? If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, then be prepared to endure persecution. It's, it's not very comforting, is it? Is, is it? Not very comforting. Unfortunately, many times when we come to, to the knowledge of Christ, when we come to Christ, when we believe in Christ, we, we come with our own thoughts and uh, our own ideas of what our life is going to look like once we believe in Christ. That maybe my life is going to be better. My life is going to change, you know, to become even better than it was before. Or maybe I'm going to get rich. I'm going to start making even more money than I'm doing right now. That is not the promise of, of Scripture. It's not. It is not. In fact, it's telling us that if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, be ready for persecution. During COVID, uh, I think it was in 2020, um, my, my, the, the church that my dad pastors back in Mozambique went through persecution. And it was, it was bad. It was really bad. To the point where my dad, as the pastor, was being threatened to, to be sent to jail. What happened is at that time, all the churches and mosques and, you know, every religious institution was closed at the orders of the government officials. And so they would send police officers to go around and look, especially on Sundays, to see if there was a church that was open. So while they were going around, if they found a church that was open, there were threats. And so one of these places they went to was the church that my my dad pastors. And they got there, and they called the leader, my dad, and they told him, if we come back here again and find you gathering as a church, you as the leader will send you to jail. And we're talking about an 80-year-old man here. <laughs> um, so they did that. And the next Sunday, the church decided, well, this is just a building. We can still worship God, even if it's not here. So they left. And they went, they went out to the bushes. They went to the woods. And they gathered there. And they worshipped God. They sung. There was a sermon. And they came back. Each one, each, each one of them went to their houses. And I actually got pictures of people that were there. 
in the woods, worshiping God in the woods. And how they said, if they want the building, they can take the building. The building is not the church. We are the church. We are going to worship God anywhere. So they went out to worship. Brothers and sisters, when I, when I saw this and when I heard what, what happened, I was very encouraged. I almost shed tears looking at that. And just, just, just the fact that the people recognized we are the church. We are the church. That was very encouraging. It was very, very encouraging. So there is going to be a time when we will be persecuted. So when those times come, what? What is going to happen? What's going to be our attitude? What is going to be our attitude? We need to remain steadfast. We need to remain steadfast. So in the first John chapter 2.17, we read, And the word is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This building one day is going to be gone. Any church building one day is going to be gone. But the word of God that we preach, the word of God that we hear, the word of God that you have in your Bible it will remain forever and ever and ever. And that is very encouraging. That is why we need to be steadfast. We need to remain steadfast in the midst of persecution, in the midst of any troubles that we might be going through in life. And I know, I know, I know it's not, it's not easy. I know it's not easy. It's not easy. It's very, very hard. But at this moment, as we speak, there are people going through persecution. There are people being persecuted. People that cannot gather as we are here to hear the word of God. People, if they want to gather, they have to hide. Because if they don't, they'll be in prison. I watched a documentary a couple years ago about what was going on in Sudan. Uh, Sudan is a country in Africa, uh, in the northeast Africa. Uh, it's, right, uh, it's right below Egypt. There was civil war happening, and it was mostly a, a religious war. The government was trying to make the country uh, completely Islamic. But there was a church there. And so... Believers were being attacked by Islamic soldiers. They would go to villages and attack and kill people, kill Christians. And this was a war specially dedicated to kill Christians. Persecution at its core. They would go to villages and find, find a well in an area that was inhabited predominantly by Christians, they would find a water well and they would poison it. And nobody knew. And so people would come over to get water, to haul water. They would get there. The water is poisoned. They don't know it. They would get back home, drink the water, and they would die. Unspeakable evil happening in Sudan in those days just because they were Christians. 
and you would see people being interviewed, we would not abandon Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. What do you do when you hear something like that? People that are in the blink of death, they know that at, at, any, at any moment right now, they might come and attack me and shoot me and, you know, all sorts of evil happening. But still, they remain steadfast. Brothers and sisters, this is what we're called to do. This is exactly what was going on in, in Ephesus. Persecution, leaders being killed. But still, they were patient. They were enduring through persecution. My second point this morning, the second point of the content of the letter is opposition. While Christ praised them for what was going on, for their steadfast love for him, and he commended them, he also opposed them. And we can see that in, in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Brothers and sisters, there is a dangerous theology out there. And that theology is not only here in America, it's everywhere where there is a church. It's a theology that has nothing to do with praising Christ. It's a theology that says how much God loves me. How much God loves me. That is not a question, by the way. It's settled. God loves us. That is not going to change. He is love. Okay? It's not going to change. The question that we need to be asking ourselves is, how much do I love God? How much do I love other people, my neighbor, my family? That is the question that we need to be asking. But this theology, this dangerous theology is how much God loves me and how much God wants to bless me, how much God wants to make my dreams come true, how much he wants to give me material goods. And so this brings this sense of entitlement that we feel. We're entitled to this, we're entitled to that, we need to have this because God loves us. That is not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, they're being opposed by Jesus himself because they abandoned their love. The Christian life is about us loving Christ. That is what it's all about. Of course he does love us. We don't doubt about that. that. There's no doubt about it. But how much do we love him? Do we love him to the point of sacrificing even our own lives for the sake of the love that we have for him? Is that the case in our lives? The church had abandoned their, the love they had at first. Some people might say this is about love between the church and God. Other people might say this is about the, the love between amongst people. Why not both? We need to love God and love those around us. 
And so love is what defines someone as a Christian. There is no such a thing as a Christian without loving Christ. There is no. If you don't love Christ, then I would say there is something wrong there. On the other hand, we're just so obsessed with being loved. We just want to be loved. He would do anything to be loved. He would spend, we would spend as much money as is necessary so that we would become handsome and beautiful so we can be loved by other people. We're willing to do this, to be loved. But how much do we really love people? How much do we really love God? Peter, remember Peter? In the book, in the book of John chapter 21, um, I'm going to read it here. It's about Jesus himself. He said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Peter was grieved because of so many times that Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this is because there is nothing that we will do for Christ unless we actually love him. If you don't love him, you're not going to feel the, uh, you're not going to have any feeling to do anything for him in your heart. And if you do it, if, even if you don't love him, if you do it, then that is just for show. There is nothing that we can do that can even make him love us just because of our actions. Nothing. The biggest thing is our love towards him. Do we truly love him? Do we love him? And Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved. And this is how much, how important it is for us to love Christ. Whatever it is that we do in our Christian life, it has to be motivated by our love towards Christ and not the other way around. Do it so that he can love you. That's not how it is. We are called to love the Lord. In Mark 12, 30 and 31, we read, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we can see the emphasis on love. Love your God completely. With all your heart, mind, and strength. And also, apart from the vertical love, there is the horizontal, horizontal love. Love those around you as well. And I know that it's not easy to love people. Some of us, maybe we're not lovable by others. 
And we're going to find ourselves being saddened by those that we want to love. Becoming brokenhearted by those who we were trying to love. But even in those moments, we should remember that Christ loved us, even as we were his enemies. He loved us. And he laid his life down for us. And he died for us. Because of his love. Not because we were lovable. Not because we were so cute. We were so beautiful. We were so uh, interesting or anything like that. But just because he loved us. Eric and I, we met back in Mozambique. Um, I remember... Uh, in the early years, you know, when we, when we started dating, I didn't own a car, and she didn't either. So one way we went around the city, you know, wherever we, wanna, we wanted to go to, we used the motorcycle that I had. And by the way, motorcycles over there, they're not romantic. Okay? They're not. They're a way of life. <laughs> they're a way of life. And the roads are dirty. They're dirt roads. Most of them are not paved. So when you're riding on your motorcycle, if you ride a distance, say, from here to Burling or Sugar Creek, it's likely that by the time you get to where you're going, you will be all dusty. Your hair is going to have a different color by the time you get there. Okay? So that's how we went around back in Mozambique. And I found myself coming to a point where I was thinking, man, what am I doing to this girl? I know where she comes from. She drives a vehicle. She, I mean, maybe she has a car that's waiting for her to drive it when she gets there. And here I am. I'm dating her. I'm getting her dirty. And I was, I was feeling guilty in those days. Even after we got married, our lifestyle different from how it is over here. We, we cooked over the fire like we were camping. We were almost camping every day, okay? That was our lifestyle over there. And I found myself, like I said, feeling guilty. Man, I should do something about this. I can't be making her do these things that she's not used to. But throughout all that time, all this time that has gone by, I have never in one single minute, doubted her love for me. It has remained steadfast, and I really appreciate that. And that's how it should be. That is how our love should be towards God. It should remain steadfast. in our love towards other people. I have, heard, I've, I have heard people say, well, even back in Mozambique, people say, well, I don't love my wife anymore. I don't love my husband anymore. Things like those happen. It happens. But we're called to have a love that is steadfast towards God, towards Jesus Christ, and towards our neighbor, towards those around us, towards, towards our family, our colleagues, everybody around us. And if we look at specifically specifically at love, many of the problems that the world has today, 
they stem from lack of love. Most of the problems that the world is going through is hatred, lack of love towards others, or even too much love towards ourselves and selfishness. I love myself so much that I'm willing to put this person in, in, in very difficult situations so that I can get what I want. I don't like them, so therefore they don't deserve to leave. I'm going to kill them. Things like these are happening in the world. Selfishness, too much self-love, hatred towards others. And that's what motivates people f- to do evil things. And I, I, I've been listening to this podcast about the rulers of the world, like uh, Russians and the, you know, Germans and all those evil rulers that, you know, uh, they rule those countries. And it's so amazing. To the ne- to on the negative side, the way they think. The hatred that they have towards people. And the self-love that they have in their hearts. And their desire to self-grandize themselves. To elevate themselves to the top. And nobody else is worth anything but themselves. And, And that is the polar opposite of what the gospel is telling us. It's the opposite. And those kinds of things, they bring so much disaster in the world. Poverty, wars, conflicts between countries, between nations, and between tribes, even within the same nation. We see wars happening in the world because of those things. And we're told this morning, remember where you fell, in verse 5. Remember where you fell and repent. Where is it that we fell? Where is it? Is it spiritual starvation? Is it lack of community amongst believers? Or a spiritual malnutrition? Or is it sin in general? Where did we fall? He tells us here that we need to stop and think, where did we fall so that we can repent and follow him? And I tell you, brothers and sisters, The kingdom of God is not for those that are unrepentant. It is not. We are called to repent of our sin and follow Christ. Even John the Baptist, when he was preaching the gospel, he told the people, repent of your sin. And people would repent and they would come to him and they were baptized. So repentance is huge. As we follow Christ. And it's not only one, something that we do only once. It's an ongoing thing. Because we're going to fall at some point in our Christian life. We are not good at this. We are not good at it. At some point we're going to find ourselves falling. And we need to repent again. And repent again. And repent again. It's an ongoing thing. So examine your life. And see where you fell. And repent of your sin. And the third point this morning is the promise that he gives in verse 7. He says, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in, 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 in the paradise of God. Now, the word conquer here, it's a key word. It, it was used in the Old Testament to refer to, um, to overcoming or crushing your enemy or defeating your enemy at war. And, and as we read in the Old Testament, we see so many wars that the Israelites had to fight. And so they would use this word to, to refer to overcoming their enemy, to conquering their enemy. And we know that this Christian life is a battlefield. We are fighting in this Christian life. We are fighting forces that we cannot see, spiritual forces. In fact, in chapter 6, it says here that, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the type of war that we're fighting in this Christian life. And now he says here, for those who conquer, they'll be given, they'll be granted to eat of the tree of life. Now when you think about the tree of life, you probably think of Adam and Eve. Right? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There were two trees in the middle of the garden. One of the knowledge of, knowledge of, God, of good and evil, and the other... The tree of life. And Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and they were expelled. Because at that point, their spiritual, their spiritual condition did not, did not qualify for them to eat of the tree of life. So they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. They were out of the Garden of Eden. So the tree of life is something that, it's, it's a big theme in the, in the scriptures. God still wants those who believe in him to eat of the tree of life one day, but not in the condition of sin. That is why we need Christ. That, that's why we need to be redeemed through Christ so that we can have access to the tree of life. There is a book that I that I'm reading, by the way, it takes me years to finish one book. I'm a very slow reader. <laughs> but there is a book that I'm reading which is called um, Who, Can, Who Shall I Send the Mountain of God? In that book, the author talks about how um, the Garden of Eden is called the Mountain of God. And it's God's vision for us to ascend into the Mountain of God. But the one way we can ascend to that mountain is through the redemption that, redemption that only Christ offers. And that redemption comes from repenting of our sin and believing in Christ. And so, one day we're going to have access to the tree of life. And that is God's vision. We're going to ascend into the mountain of God. It's God's vision. But we're not going to do that in a sinful state. We will not. Now as I close here, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, I've got a, qu a couple questions here 
that will be helpful for us to kind of reflect as we go through the week. And the first one is this. As a church, what would Christ commend us for? As a church in general, what is it that would Christ would commend us for? What is the state of your love for Christ and for others? How is your love for Christ and for others? Is it fading away? Or is it still strong? Is there anything in your life that you think prevents you from loving Christ? Or from, from loving others? And to close with, I'm going to read a passage here from Psalm 24, 3 and 5. It says, Who shall I send the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Lord God, we thank you for your word we thank you that you you are love and you have loved us you have loved us unconditionally God I pray this morning that each and every one of us would strive to love you give us the love that we need to love you and to love those around us. I pray, God, that if there, if there is anybody here this morning that has hatred against somebody else, I pray, Lord, that you speak to them in a mighty way and just teach them, Lord, to love you and to love those people. Teach them, Lord, to obey what you say in this text this morning to learn to love and to love unconditionally the Lord we thank you so much for who you are and we love you Lord in Jesus name I pray